This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Tom Halverson, CEO of CoBank. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Tom Halverson next. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about the biggest challenge facing humanity, feeding a growing population. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about six commitments to make crops more efficient, rescue more farmland, help biodiversity flourish, reach and empower smallholders, help people stay safe, and to look after every worker throughout the entire supply chain network. One Planet, Six Commitments. Learn more at www.goodgrowthplan.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Farmers and ranchers are suffering the ill effects of low commodity prices and reduced farm income. Tom Halverson, CEO of Cobag, says the down cycle is threatening the industry. Debt levels and, and leverage in the farm economy have increased. Cash flow has decreased. Cash flow has decreased more than input costs have decreased. So, you know, there's a lot more strain and stress in the farm economy than there was you know, four or five years ago when cash flows were substantially higher. Uh, and th- th- that has accumulated over that period. So, you know, things are difficult uh, uh, throughout the farm economy. Are we at a bottom yet? Uh, that is a question I am uh, asking customers and other stakeholders all the time, and we're looking for leading indicators that would tell us that perhaps we have. We're certainly looking for those. So what, what might those leading indicators be? Well, they might be a, a slowdown or a, an arresting of the decrease in farmland values uh, or cash rent values, for example. Uh, and, and in fact, in some places, not you know nationally, but in some places, it looks like farmland is stable, some cases selectively rising or, and or cash rent uh, stabilizing. Uh, so, you know, there are some leading indicators that, that may uh, lead us to believe that we may be past the worst, uh, but I think uh, on an aggregate basis, it's still a little bit too early uh, to say that. You know, the USDA has projected net farm income after having fallen 50% over a three-year period to have modestly uh, increased. Uh, I still haven't, we haven't, I don't think, seen the final data on that, if that's true uh, that would be good news on a you know nationwide basis, uh, but even under that nationwide uh, picture, there's still a lot of uh, difficulties across the economy. Given that we're we've been in this down phase for so long, and it's going to take a meaningful period of of correction before uh, people get in materially stronger uh, positions. How has this affected operations, either a from capital purchases or from their input purchases per crop year? or even the structure of their financing? I think all of the above would be true. You know, people are, are borrowing uh, p- potentially differently because their balance sheet and their cash flows look and feel and are, in fact, different than they were uh, three or four years ago. Their, their borrowing base uh, might be different. Uh, they hopefully would be considering the, the, the aspect of, of the interest rate environment being meaningfully different in the next two or three years than it has been over the last three or four years where we've had a extended period of unprecedentedly low interest rates during which, you know, interest rates as a cost of your production process have been, you know, a not significant uh, matter. 
but on a going forward basis may become uh, more relevant than they've been for for many many years. Uh, so there's there's a lot of uh, change going on in the operating environment for uh, agricultural producers. It's going to make things. Uh, a little bit uh, more complicated. A few weeks ago, Cobank offered a report suggesting that there were 380 Chapter 12 bankruptcies back in 2014. That increased to 500 last year. How much is riding on 2018 now? I think a lot is frankly riding on 2018 because, you know, when your cash flow is break even or potentially negative, you're suffering from not just, you know, a one-year impact, you're suffering from a cumulative impact over an extended period of time. And I think the longer this goes on, the more that is likely to increase. Uh, we don't uh, wish for it. And quite frankly, given this position of strength from which they entered this down phase, I would say people have weathered this better than we might have expected. Absolute leverage levels have have increased, but from a quite low base, in fact. But we're now at a point in this process that has gone on for so long that it gets harder and harder to weather the storm, if you will, uh, if uh, if we don't get some uh, improvements in the operating environment in general and and, uh, and commodity prices in particular. Given this challenging balance sheet that we have, I'd like to ask is the current farm bill we have, is it adequate to protect farmers and this economy right now? This policy was written at a time when things were good in the farm, and now things are not good. So if this plan is continued, or if the new plan looks like the old plan, who suffers? Well, uh, the 50,000-foot answer to this is having a farm bill is, is, is absolutely critical relative to not having a farm bill. So accepting that, uh, does the Farm Bill need to have some adjustments and modifications to take into consideration the current facts and circumstances as you described in your question? The answer is yes. You know, my overwhelming imperative is to see that the new bill gets appropriately negotiated among the various constituencies in the, in the House and Senate and that it ultimately get done. And I'm confident that it will be adjusted in ways that are appropriate for time. We're waiting for the final numbers for crop insurance performance in 2017, but the rough numbers suggest farmers paid in about $10 billion in premiums and indemnities look to be around 6 or $7 billion. So the program thus far is solvent, but yet we have a CBO report suggesting that you could save $3.4 billion by coming in with some sort of a premium cap or a multi-layered premium cap uh, to save expense of the program. Does crop insurance need to be changed, and what are your concerns if crop insurance is, is uh, changed with a means test or elimination of the harvest price option or other elements that farmers are using for risk management? I think there will be, in fact, there's likely to be a debate, you know, within the House, for example, or on the on the, on the floor on that question of whether whether some savings can be made from from crop insurance. And I'm not going to try and uh, you know backseat drive, you know, where they should land on that, other than to say, you know, at this point in in the cycle, it's essential that 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 safety net uh, underneath production agriculture remain in place and that it not be uh, uh, undercut in such a way as to meaningfully reduce the safety and security of, of the production agricultural complex because that would 
not only harm uh, the those farmers and, and rural America, it would make it harder for lenders, be they members of the farm credit system or community banks or others, to lend in the breadth and depth uh, that is required to support that production agricultural complex because having some revenue protection in the form of, uh, of crop insurance doesn't just benefit the farmer or rancher directly, it benefits them by making them more securely financeable by having more security in the in the revenue and cash flow performance of their business. We've defined the difficulty that we've seen in farm income, so with that, let's look to the young and to the beginning farmer. Should we take extra means, or how uh, how does... How does leadership in this day look ahead to the next generations of those who are trying to get into the business or to take over existing businesses? Well, that's a that's a great question, and and what I tell you is, you know, we believe quite strongly that agriculture was the original comparative advantage of the United States at the time this country was founded. It is still, although the agricultural economy is is much smaller relative to the size of the entire economy, it's still one of our most demonstrable, valuable comparative advantages in in in, in the world uh, economy. And and so our long-term future success uh, is is meaningfully uh, assisted by having a vigorous, healthy, strong, and competitive agricultural economy long into the future, where, where it will remain a substantial comparative advantage of the United States. And if that is to be realized, it will require that we constantly adapt and bring in young, beginning, and small farmers to bring new things into the marketplace, to try new things, to broaden and deepen the talent pool of, of, of production agriculture. And that's something that the farm credit system as a whole, and CoBank in particular, are particularly uh, focused on and, and committed to. All of the institutions in the farm credit system, including our own, uh, invest a lot of time and energy into specific programs that are designed to facilitate the entry of young, beginning, and small farmers into the agricultural industry, and we report that out to our shareholders and to our and to our regulators, and we think it's a extremely important part of the mission that we're here to fulfill. Obviously, the challenges in agriculture are real, but there are also some extraneous challenges that farmers that are beyond farmers' control, and one of those is trade agreements. This administration has been mostly cold on multilateral trade renegotiating the North American Free Trade Agreement now with still threats looming that the U.S. could withdraw from the pact. From a lender perspective, uh, how do you see this renegotiation of NAFTA, of course, and and of talk of the Trans-Pacific Partnership after the withdrawal from that agreement? Well, I'd start by saying it is hard to overstate just how important international trade regimes and rules are to the health and well-being of the agricultural economy and of uh, rural America indirectly. Uh, there are a number of, pro- you know, approximately 25% of everything that we produce in agriculture gets exported. There are lots of products where that number is much higher than that. Uh, and the amount of, of uh, uh, exports of U.S. agricultural product is a very large positive number and it makes a substantial positive contribution to our trade flows and to our current account balance. 
And there are no people who are more aware of this, more sensitive to this, and more knowledgeable about this than agricultural producers across rural America. I was encouraged by the speech the president made the other day, which for the first time indicated that he might be willing to consider alternative means of going back to TPP or some version of TPP to try and deal with getting access to a multilateral type arrangement with the parties to that agreement. I think that's a, an interesting and an encouraging development on, on that front because if you think long into the future that there may be 2 billion more people on Earth in 20 years' time, uh, two-thirds of those people are going to be in Asia and they don't have enough arable land, water, or ability to grow the, the food and fiber that they're going to need to feed those people that's a gigantic incremental marketplace for U.S. producers. With respect to NAFTA, uh, one can debate the, the impact of NAFTA on various sectors of, of, of the U.S. economy or the Canadian economy or the Mexican economy. But math is math, and no one can argue but the fact that, that U.S. agricultural exports to Mexico have risen dramatically uh, during, the, during the period that the NAFTA agreement has been in place. And so while on the one hand reciprocity is, is, is much to be desired in, in, in trade agreements in terms of their implementation and their enforcement, maintaining the access that we have to our NAFTA partners' markets for U.S. agricultural uh, exports is absolutely essential uh, because if we were to unilaterally withdraw from the NAFTA agreement, for example, uh, it, 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 we would have a significant negative external shock to the U.S. agricultural economy at a time when that agricultural economy is already very weak and suffering for the reasons we've already discussed, being three to four years into a very difficult, long-lasting commodity price cycle at the very moment when we're in a, a rising interest rate cycle. So to be hit with elimination of our NAFTA access to those export markets would be bad at any time. It would be particularly unwelcome at the present time. Since there are challenging times now for farmers and ranchers, and the Fed is discussing, or at least the analysts are discussing, that the Fed might show as many as three interest rate increases here in 2018, what's the effect of those higher rates on farms and ranches in the country? Well, they come at a particularly inopportune moment for the reasons we described, given low commodity prices over an extended period and the the stress that has accumulated in the agricultural economy, even despite uh, having this period of exceptionally low for an exceptionally long period uh, of interest rates. And the reality is, you know, if there's no respite to low commodity prices and, and those other sources of stress for agricultural producers, we will now complicate their, their plot, their, their fate yet further uh, by adding an, another increasing input cost in the form of, of increasing cost of the capital that they need to use to support their business. Uh, so, so if you are, you know, relatively leveraged in your operation, the cost of capital is uh, likely to go up to finance the operations of your business. And so that's going to make an already challenging situation for producers that much more challenging. Now, if you're a a top quartile performer and and uh, you know super efficient and and you have flexibility in the cost side of your business to be able to absorb absorb those additional 
uh, interest costs, you'll be able to, pardon the pun, plow on through this challenge. But if you're in the lowest quartile cost place on the cost curve, and you already owe a lot of money and your cost of capital is going to go up meaningfully, you know, it could really significantly affect the viability of your of your business and, and your operation. And, you know, part of the challenge here is that, uh, particularly for people who have only been in the business for, you know, 10-plus years, many of those people, uh, you know, if you've only been in the business 10, 10 years, You've never really operated in a relatively higher interest rate environment. You've only operated in a very exceptional, highly anomalous, super low interest rate environment. Those people who experienced the 1980s, they remember when, when, uh, you know, interest rates were way over, uh, 10%. And they, they may have, uh, learned through that experience how to, how to manage, uh, interest rate and capital cost risks in the, in their business in a way that, uh, more uh, newer and more recent uh, entrance into the agricultural production business uh, may not have. The tax reform that was passed by Congress and is now coming for the country, was that a benefit for agriculture? I do expect it to be felt down on the farm. But, but in terms of understanding exactly how it's going to flow through all parts of the production complex, uh, I, I am not exactly sure how it's going to manifest itself everywhere. You know, the, the legislation uh, came to fruition in a relatively short period of time. Uh, we at, at CoBank and our partners in the farm credit system are, are digesting all of, its, all of its attributes, trying to figure out what it means for, you know, agricultural co-ops on the one hand, you know, farmers and ranches on the other hand, traditional loan products on the one hand, operating leases uh, for equipment on the other. Uh, the bottom line is we believe that in aggregate, the reduction in taxes on an absolute basis is going to be beneficial. Uh, whether you're a private grain business, for example, or a cooperative grain business, we think this is going to be helpful in rural America in general and the agricultural economy in particular. In the State of the Union address, the President has discussed an infrastructure investment of up to a trillion and a half dollars. How important right now, despite the economic climate of the country, how important right now for the country to make investment in bridges, roads, railways, and waterways? If you look at the math and the economics... The United States has been effectively decapitalizing its infrastructure asset base for a long period of time, meaning we are investing less than the replacement cost of our existing infrastructure. And that's not a good situation, right? If you look at the the health and well-being of the locks and dams on the Mississippi River and its and its tributaries, they're at the end of their useful life. Many of them are falling into a, a serious state of disrepair, which, if not meaningfully addressed, will have a direct, tangible, negative impact on our ability to move millions of bushels of grain up and down the river. That's just a small example of this. So, so if you uh, if you step back from where are we in the economic cycle, where are we relative to the tax bill, where are we relative to other uh, transitory events of the moment, the reality is the United States as a country needs to meaningfully increase its infrastructure investing in order to ensure and safeguard the long-term productivity and growth potential of our economy. I would argue 
that the time to start is not, you know, next week or next year. The time to start is now. And if you ask me that in six months' time, I'll say the same. And if you ask me in two years' time, I'll say the same. Well, Tom Howerson, it's a busy season, and we certainly appreciate you taking time to spend with us here on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you have a last word. Well, I appreciate that uh, very much. We're, we're, we're deeply optimistic about the state of the, uh, of the economy in the United States. Uh, we are deeply supportive of the fulfillment of our mission in rural America, both for agriculture uh, and for infrastructure. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, taking the, uh, the positive operating environment with good uh, GDP growth and low inflation and still relatively low interest rates and doing everything we can on behalf of our, our customers and our, and our mission to try and address the challenges that people and, and businesses in, in rural America face in general, our agriculture uh, in particular, and we look forward to, uh, to uh, partnering with, uh, with our customers and other industry stakeholders and supporting activity uh, uh, from whatever quarter, uh, Democrats, Republicans, hopefully on a bipartisan basis to further uh, uh, the possibility of, of uh, increasing our infrastructure investments for the long-term health and well-being of, uh, of our great country. So we appreciate the opportunity to work with, uh, with so many terrific uh, farmers, ranchers, and, uh, and business people across rural America. Our thanks to Tom Halverson, CEO of Cobank, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.